What is up, pod people? It's me, Robert DeLong, the host of DeLong Robcast, the podcast where I get people I can convince to be on it on, and we talk about the things that we talk about. This week on the pod, the famed and extremely talented alternative singer-songwriter, lead singer of the band Arkells, straight from Canada, right outside of Toronto, this is your man, Max Kerman. We have a great conversation. We cover all sorts of topics. We talk about things. We talk about stuff. We talk about life. We talk about death. We have laughs. We cry. Well, we didn't really cry. No one's crying on my podcast because this is a positive podcast. So without further ado, take it away, me and Max. Here we go. Cool. Well, like, where are you right now? I'm in beautiful, lovely Los Angeles, California. <laughs> United States of America. Where are you at right now? I'm in Toronto right now, um, Lo- just at my place. Locked on the other side of the border, as it were. That's right. We're just reopening it, though. I think the 21st, they're allowing Americans to come. So if you if you want a little vacation while the weather's still good, book a flight, an easy six-hour flight or five-hour flight right. to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Toronto. Uh, yeah, so you've been in Toronto for the duration. Did you grow up in Toronto? Yeah, so I I grew up in Toronto, like right downtown, and then I went to McMaster University, which is in Hamilton, which is like an hour outside of Toronto, and that's where I met the guys in the band. So it's always interesting. People, at least from these parts, always assume I'm a born and bred Hamiltonian, but and then I and then I tell them, oh, I'm actually from Toronto, and they look disappointed because there's a bit of a rivalry bet- between the two cities. But that's where I met the guys in the band, and uh, that's where like the band was born. So I feel equal parts proud of being from Toronto and, and Hamilton. Where, where are you from originally? I grew up in Seattle area, just northeast right. of Seattle, a little town called Bothell. But yeah, I had a lot of family from Bellingham, which is right near the border. So, I, you know, there's some Canadian influence on my life. I say things like, I mean, maybe this is more Midwest, but I say things like Bag and Dragon and shit. So <laughs> <laughs> what? What did you say? Bag, Dragon, Magazine, you know. But yeah. So you guys met at McMaster. You were studying poli sci there. Is that right? Yeah, I kind of just went for the purpose of joining the band, though, because I wanted to, so, like, basically, on the first day of school, I just started to kind of profile people, like, this is, like, you know, Welcome Week or Frosh Week at at college, and I was just like, does this person look like they'd be in a band? Does this person look like they might want to be in a band with me? And I asked, I ran to Mike, uh, who's our guitarist, and he was probably maybe, like, the 30th person that I talked to, because everyone's very social in the first week, you know, everybody, like, doesn't know anybody else, really. There's no, like, clicks yet or anything like that. And I asked, yeah, what kind of music are you into? And he mentioned this band from Winnipeg called The Weaker Thans. And oh, yeah. Do you know that? Have you, are you familiar with that band? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a blast from the past right there. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, they were, like, you know, they would have been a band that would have been reviewed by Pitchfork in, like, 2004. And they had, like, some punk rock origins. But, like... The, the songwriting is really, really good. And so he said, I'm, I'm in this band. You probably haven't heard of them called The Weaker Thans. I was like, oh, that's, that's my favorite band. Do you play an instrument? And he said, oh, I kind of play guitar. I'm like, you're in the band. <laughs> and that's, that's how the band started. It was the first day. And the second day I met our guitarist, Nick. And same thing. There's a Canadian rock and roll dude who has just come up and becoming very popular named Sam Roberts. And he's from Montreal. And I was wearing a Sam Roberts t-shirt. And then Nick said, like, oh, do you like Sam Roberts? Like, yeah, I love Sam Roberts. And I was, do you play an instrument? He's like, I kind of play the bass. I was like, you're in the band. So basically, I met Nick and Mike uh, immediately. And I always feel very lucky about that because I know a lot of people that are looking to, like, 
form musical unions can spend a lot of time just like jamming with people they don't necessarily like or see eye to eye with or have a musical connection with. But for, for me, I was able to find those guys like immediately. And we started jamming like in the common room, like in our residence. And our first gig was like a battle of the bands at, on campus. And, and then we got really lucky because you know, I think when you're in like, I guess we call it fourth year. So if you're a senior in university, you're like, what am I doing next? Like, what is, what do I do after I graduate? And a lot of people fuck off and go to Europe or get some shitty job. We started to work with a manager and a, a proper label just as we were finishing fourth year, like senior year. So we got to transition right from college into a touring band, which is like, kind of perfect because so we made our our parents happy and we all got our degrees and then we we hit the road and then we, <laughs> we've been doing it ever since uh was any of the rest of the bandmates degrees in in music or were you guys all studying other stuff no we were also uh, mike nick and i were in poli sci so that's that, that's where that degree went but actually tony who joined the band a few years later he went to school at humber college which is a great has a great jazz program in toronto it's like kind of where if you're if you're a Toronto jazz guy, there's a good chance you went to Humber, and uh, so Tony's like the real musician. Where, did you go to Did you go to college? Oh, I did go to college. Yeah, and I, I studied music, uh, commercial music, audio engineering. So actually, it, oh, where? it's a little. Uh, I went to a Jesus school Ooh, uh, out here. Which yeah, one? Yeah. That's a long story. I've talked a lot about it on the pod, but uh, yeah, yeah. You okay. know, I went to an evangelical Christian university called Azusa Pacific mm-hmm. University. That's how do you spell it? Azusa. A to Z in the USA, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and that's where I learned a lot about music and how to not be a Christian. So it worked out great uh, <laughs> on both accounts. But yeah, so you guys, I, what year was that when you guys graduated? So it was 2008, so I'm 34 now. Oh, so we're exactly, we gradu- the, we're exactly the are same. Are you in 86? Then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm an 86, Mike's an 86. Nick took a year off after high school, he's an 85. But yeah, so it was 2008. So just basically, like we started touring like that summer, and we kind of and we all kind of had part time jobs. And then by probably about like 2010, 2011, we all kind of looked around and go, oh yeah, nobody's like working a part time job right now. Like we're kind of all being able to like get by. Hamilton's cheap too, so it's like you could. Like I was room roommates with a couple other dudes at this time, and I was paying like. 300 bucks a rent a, a month. And, and I was like living like in a kind of a corner room, like over top of the street kind of thing. But I was like, that's all I need. I'm not around that much. And so it was very cheap to, to live in Hamilton, which is another advantage. Amazing. That's crazy. So how did you even get signed? Like, how did that happen? Was it just you guys were just playing shows and like kind of building your profile or what? Yeah. Well, it's like, how did that even end up happening that so quickly? Yeah, it, well, so we were kind of playing throughout university. So we started like our first gig would have been the end of our freshman year. And then we were gigging like in Hamilton. And we, and so if you actually, I saw a funny infographic on Twitter yesterday where basically if you drew, drew a straight line, basically if you can imagine where Montreal is on a map across Canada, I think over 50% of our population is underneath that line. Right, right, right. So, so basically like a third of Canada's population is in like a five-hour window from Hamilton. So we could drive an hour to Toronto for a gig, an hour to Waterloo, which is a college town, an, an hour down the road to London, Ontario. Like, so we could actually play in a lot of places because Canada is such a vast country to tour, but a lot of the markets are like not far. So we kind of got better and better and we were, I was always really interested in writing songs and, and like learning about production, even though it was all pretty bad at the time. But what happened was 
I want to say in the summer going into senior year, we were playing like a free, did you ever play North by Northeast festival? I did. I, I did once. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it was basically like the South by Southwest equivalent up here in Toronto in June. And we were playing a free show in the middle. It was like an outdoor stage in the middle of the city at Young and Dundas Square. It was like two in the afternoon. Nobody was there. We didn't, didn't really think anything of it. It was exciting to like say that we were part of a festival, but it was like a nothing festival and it was a very small opportunity. But a guy happened to walk by and he liked what he heard and he bought six of our EPs that we had self-produced. And it turned out this guy's named Sean Creamer, and we owe a lot to him in this sense. He owned a bar called the Dakota Tavern, which is still around. And it, and it was a hangout for a lot of musicians, a lot of industry people, a lot of people that are working at labels and management. And he just handed out our EP to different people in the industry, unbeknownst to us. He wasn't working for us. That's he, amazing. We didn't even know he was doing this. And he gave it to a guy uh, named Joel who runs, who's a manager. And there's a label called Dynalone Records. Did you know City in Color? Are you familiar with that name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dallas Green and Alexis on Fire. These are the kind of bands from like the punk rock world. A little different than us, but they had some real cachet, especially up here. And he liked what he heard and he reached out and he kind of offered to start working with us sort of immediately. So we basically like, we told him like, oh, okay, you're in the band. That's awesome. We're almost like done school. And as soon as we're done, we'll hit the road and start working. And and that's, and so again, like super lucky that we, that the timing worked out. Cause I feel like that conversation with your families, depending on how like rebellious you are. And I don't know if, if we're that rebellious, but I know like Mike and Nick, they could have gone to grad school they could, or they could have applied to law school. They're, they're kind of like smart, smart ac- academic types. Me, not so much. But like because we had a plan that seemed kind of official, they could kind of go to their parents. And be like, no, no, this is like a real thing. Like we're working with a real label. We have a manager. Like we have a real tour. Like look, come to the show. Like there's a bunch, we're opening for a band, but there's like a thousand people here. Like this is this is not just like our buddy's band that like is very amateur. It felt real. How did it work for you though? Did you like, what, what was that? Not to get too off course about me, but what, what was, what was that process like for you, for you and your folks? Yeah. I mean, from, you know, my parents were always super supportive of me doing music. Uh, my dad was a drummer. So, mm. I mean, he wasn't a drummer professionally, but like he was really into drums and played all through college. And, and, and he was the one that kind of got me started in music. So there was never any backlash there. They were all, you know, I went to college for music, so they were just, you know, they got it. Yeah, yeah, and they were excited that I was actually able to start to make a living, you know, doing music. Uh, for me, it was a few years later that the the Robert DeLong thing kind of crystallized. I was in a I was in a band in college that we also met the first week of school. But our band was ill fated from the beginning. We we called ourselves the Denouement, which that's got three vowels in a row, like already ungoogleable. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, we were kind of like an artsy indie band that just mm. you know. Who are your influences, would you say? With that band, it was like, I'd say everything from obvious ones like Radiohead and Arcade Fire to, Mm. you know, Talking Heads, but then also like real sad sack stuffs too. So, you know, it was kind of like, that was was in the era of everyone was real sad about music and trying to play it slow, but, you know, (laughs) yeah. uh, You've gotten the Win Butler comparison too, right? Oh, yeah. You you know, it's so funny. I get it all the time, even though I'm like 
probably a good foot shorter than him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Speaking, I think another big, you, know, you mentioned Arcade Fire. We are also, I always feel like we're really lucky because we're just a little bit younger than this generation of incredible Canadian indie rock. So I mentioned the Weaker Thans, they'd be in that category. There's a band called the Constantines that were on Sub Pop. Right. Uh, they're like our favorite band. Wolf Parade. Totally. The Stills, Broken Social Scene. And I, I went to a concert, it was on Toronto Island, I want to say it was 2004, and the headliners is band. Do you know the band Sloan? They're kind of like an iconic indie rock band from Canada, like that started in the nineties. I know that name. I don't but, know them well though. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like beatly bit Brit pop, but they're kind of a household name up here. And another act, Sam Roberts, who I mentioned earlier. But the earlier in the day, the more famous the acts ended up becoming. So the first band on was Death from Above. Oh wow! And the second band on was Arcade Fire. So we, I was getting to the site while this band, where they seemed like it's hundred people on stage. We're just finishing their set. And then the Stills played, and then the Constantines played, and then Broken Social Scene played, and then Sam Roberts and Sloan. So it was like an all-day event. But that, that, was, that was the music that was coming through the venues in Hamilton. Because as I said, like it's an hour down the road from Toronto. So if you book a Toronto show, you're going to book a Hamilton show. Stars, another great band. Feist. Like all the all stuff that was on Arts and Crafts, a great, great Canadian label. So yeah, we were kind of surrounded by a lot, a lot of awesome music. Yeah, I mean, what's the deal with Toronto? I feel like so much music and, and comedy, too, has come out of Toronto. I mean, like... Yeah. It, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, it, it, to me, it, I, there is something about Toronto that's like, you know, it's a metropolitan city. It's close to, you know, New York and everything. There's a lot of access. But yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think is, like, the reason that that's such a hub for, for creativity and, and kind of a big outlet for the arts in Canada? Yeah, it's a good question. It's evolved, too, because, you know, back when I was like a teenager in early 20s, it was like a lot of, as, I, as all those bands I was mentioning, a lot of indie rock. But now, obviously, like with Drake and The Weeknd, it's like it's really taken like kind of the mantle when it comes to like hip hop production, too. Like that, that's such a big part of what putting out Daniel Caesar is from Toronto. Jesse Ray is like. These, these names that are like doing incredibly well internationally are all from here. You know, it's, it's a really multicultural city. So people say that it's like a smaller, nicer Chicago or New York in that like there's just people from and all over the world that live here and have immigrated here. And also, I mean, there was a lot of great venues to play. And I, and I think like if you're surrounded by like, you know, good shit, like you learn from that. So I think, I think there's something to that. And you know, you're, you're, if you're from, you know, the Pacific Northwest and like, you know, the, the bands that Seattle has produced, you know, so that same kind of thing. I think if you see it happening around you, you go, oh, okay, this is actually possible. I, I think that's a big part of like having your eyes open when you go, oh, like I know that person and that person's doing it. I guess I can do that too. I just have to kind of learn how to do it, you know? Totally, totally. I mean, you know, for me, like my high school, like Chris Walla from Death Cab for Cutie went to my high school, you know, whatever, six years before I did. And that mm. was like a big thing for me being like, oh, yeah, like you can make it as a musician, like uh, and you don't have to be from L.A. or whatever. Then I moved to L.A., but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, L.A. is awesome, too. We, we just did our last record in, in Eagle Rock and, we, and we've recorded a lot down there. But, and, and, and it's a good hub. I find being down in L.A. is actually kind of. I don't live there, so just take it with a grain of salt, but like very inspiring because there's so like so many hardworking musicians there that are like hustling in a cool way, in a way that's like, as long as you kind of, you know, our mutual friend is Christine, you know, K-Flay, and she, you know, she feels like she surrounds herself with a really awesome community of musicians that she likes to collaborate with, and they're all there. So I'm, sometimes I'm kind of envious of that because it's, it's cool to see that community and all the work that gets done. Totally. Oh, yeah. I mean, speaking of her, you know, she, she had like a, 
uh, a housewarming party like uh, like a couple weeks ago, and it was just so funny, like showing up there, and it's like, all right, this is like uh, every alt pop singer I've ever met, <laughs> you know, lead singer from Max Ambassadors and Pussy Riot and whatever. It was <laughs> it was kind of a fun yeah, little Bishop Briggs is there, yeah, exactly. He's like everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, which which is totally true about LA. Like, I mean, I go to my local coffee shop and like I'll see, you know whatever i'll see like oh wow that's uh that's somebody that's uh successful in music or or where do you, you live know, we're, we're in la area i'm on uh, silver lake so just down the street from okay, eagle yeah. rock yeah, yeah i used yeah. i used to live right by right by eagle rock like in uh the area called mount washington which is yep. just beautiful i love that that whole area and it's kind of like a secret little pocket of uh northeast la i think i played basketball there because um the guy ryan spraker who helped produce most of our new record that's coming out he he and i played basketball almost every morning before we went to the studio and i think we played at a gym in mount washington that sounds right anyway yeah well that's uh, yeah so i know that you like love sports you're a sports person yeah yeah i mean i like it yeah i do i mean especially basketball but i do i I do like sports yeah i mean you have like uh i mean i I am literally like not the sports ball person uh i love exercising and i used to play soccer but i i I couldn't even name like i can name two basketball teams and they're both here in los angeles i do you have a team i mean is it is it the toronto whatever (laughs) it is the toronto whatever yeah you know i i think it's funny i grew up playing like team i like team sports and you know what it's funny like for me sports and being in a band there's some similarities that I like to draw between the two, which is like, it's everybody kind of has their own role to play. It's it's like when when the band wins, every like when the, when the, when we have a good show, everybody kind of can feel the win, the collective win together. And the sa- same thing with sports, like if you, if the team wins, it's like everyone kind of did something to contribute. And I think that's why I like being in a band is that I was you know on sports teams, whether it's baseball or basketball. And and I know it's funny because a lot of people be like, "What are you talking about? Like the, 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 these things are very different." But I think I wouldn't be able to be a solo act in the way like my mind is not made probably the way yours is because I I just couldn't handle the pressure of doing something by myself. And also I'd get frustrated way way too, too quickly because like you are a producer, like you you are very interested in learning. The, the corners of every single part of production and what this song, what, what this sound should be. And I, I'm like, no, I need to outsource that immediately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I'm like a big pitch. And, and, I, and I like kind of being delighted by something, hearing something that somebody else could do that I couldn't do. And that's just the way my, my brain works. But I think it has a lot to do with my own deficiencies that I'm like, oh, I just could <laughs> not... I could not do any of this by myself. And I say the same thing in, in a, on a sports team. It's like, okay, you got the person who's really good at defense and there's a person who's good at scoring and there's a person who's good at rebounding. It's like everybody kind of has their own duty. And I feel like with our band, it's like we've really kind of compartmentalized the jobs of a band. So like Mike plays guitar. He gives a shit about guitar pedals. He's also really into graphic design. So he does our album art. It's like, you know, Nick, our bassist in the early days, his dad was an accountant. So he also did the books. So like Nick was taking care of that. <laughs> like, it's the same kind of thing. So I, th- I think that's in my mind how the two are connected. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I do think about this a lot, like uh, working in a vacuum as a solo artist is sometimes it's, it's terrible because there's no direct feedback at any point, right? It's just like you make something and then you listen to it the next day. You're like, well, this is, this is shit. <laughs> or like, this is amazing. And you have no idea if it's either of those things. I can imagine that, that, that direct feedback with people you trust is, is amazing. And it seems like you guys are like a real band. Like, do, do, do you guys like write all the songs together? Do you bring ideas to them? How does that work? 
I, I, I usually start the songs, but I'm pretty good at like going, all right, what do we got? Like, I'm like, here, here's a, here's an idea that I'm excited about. And it's like a pretty shitty voice note. <laughs> right. And then I'm like, all right, how do, how do we clean it up? It kind of feels like, like a writer's room or something like that. It's like, if, if you hear about like people that work on television shows, it's like, okay, here's like a general idea, direction, feeling that we want to chase down. How do we make it better? How do, you know, and I think I've tried my best to be open to new kinds of processes. And when it comes to songwriting, as I got older, uh, do, you, do you listen to Song Exploder? Like any of those music production podcasts? Do you ever listen to not, those? Not very many of them. I, I, I do listen to uh, And the Writer Is here and there. But uh, other than that, not really so much. But I should. I should. I'll- yeah, a Song Exploder is so good because you realize that each person has their own way of getting to a result they're happy with. And... It really opened my eyes because here's the thing. I think sometimes people in general, especially musicians, can be superstitious on like how they do their thing as if it's like this divine intervention that told them like, well, I have to finish my song on Sundays because Sunday's the day I always finish my song. Like right. people, people get like weird and, <laughs> and very superstitious about stuff. And so I've been trying my best to, to be as open to different ideas as possible. And so as a result, like on our new album... It's like if you were to look at like the bones of every song, I'm like, oh yeah, this one came because Tony, our keyboardist, like he sent me a an idea, or this one happened because our producer actually had this beat that was kind of cool, or this one came from what well, you know what I mean. So I think that helps keep things fresh. And I think another thing I'm really kind of scared of, but also is a good reminder, is that like when I think of some of my favorite bands, they had like a sweet spot of like three maybe four records where they're really good and then it got really repeaty after that and then and then it kind of got sleepy and it's like okay like now's the time to hang it up and I don't ever want to do that I always want to feel like I'm very excited about the next thing and I think keeping the process different is is part of that how, how about you are you like because I know you've collaborated with lots of people how, do, how does that work on your end I mean, collaboration to me is 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 actually the most fun way to write music at this point. Because I I will say that I you know I love the music I write on my own, but it definitely is like an arduous process to get there because of that. Like sort of like you know I can ask my friends, I can I can you know actually Christine, somebody I I uh, Kayflay is somebody that I bounce music off of a lot just because she's got such mm. a, she's got such a great perspective on things and it's a, yeah. a different set of skills than me. But but collaboration to me is that's when it's like everything's fresh and exciting and we can both be excited about it. Probably how it feels to be in a band when you're like you know like check out this riff and it's like oh i got this fucking lyric that's tight you know and then everyone's pumped you know th- it, when it's exciting the whole time that's 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 to me like the the best the best version of songwriting yeah i don't know and you're sharing it together right right it's, that, i feel like that that doesn't back to the sports thing it's like when you're sharing a win together it's like oh this is great we all did it and, you know if you're in a room with a producer and another co-writer like oh we're doing this thing together we're a team so <laughs> <laughs> it's like that kind of uh, sensation. <laughs> totally. You know, I actually am curious about that because it, it, your, I, I, your songwriting has evolved over the years for sure. You know, I definitely feel like the early stuff of yours that I've listened to has some like almost like a little bit more of a melancholy streak, which maybe is just part of the music of that time. Mm. And, and also like, I could definitely see like early stuff definitely felt like it had almost like like some phoenix vibes here and there and that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. maybe a little bit of the shins as well but yeah I like i feel like 
your music has gotten more exciting and more fun over the years. And like, you have like horns on stuff all the time now, yeah. which I love that. Like, I mean, there's a couple, what was the song that I was thinking of that's like got those great horns on it? Is it, oh, is it People's Champ? Is that the one I'm thinking oh, yeah, of? Yeah, People's Champ. Yeah, yeah people, it, I mean, at this point, we got a bunch of them. People's Champ, you can get it's got some horns. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good observation because I think in the on the early records it was that era of think about all the indie. We're the same age. All the indie rock that we listened to from like 2004 to 2012. That like that whether it's the Shins or Phoenix, all those you know bands I mentioned earlier like Arcade Fire, the Strokes, like all that stuff. Like it was kind of guitar-y. Like it was kind of like chipper, but not always, and 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 that would have definitely been the main influence. But what happened was probably, I want to say, five years ago, I, I started to take a little bit more chances in like what we could do in the studio. I'm like, oh, let's bring in a horn player. Like they didn't even it's not something that would have even crossed our mind to bring in extra musicians in the five of us. It almost at at, at first it was like, are we like breaking a code? We're a band. And it's right. like no, no, like more the merrier. Let, let's get let's get more voices in here, and so. And then we started, the show started to get bigger. And so we were, it's like, what if the horns were with us? And then we're like, oh, the horns sound, oh, they make everything sound way better. So it was sort of this evolution of just being a little bit more experimental, but then also having these shows, you want to offer more at the show. So it's just like, okay, one look is the is the band playing, but another look is like bringing a, like a brass section on stage with us and, and, and that power. And, and then also I think like, you know, I, I love... I'd say like if you talk to most musicians our age, you're like, who's the most like influential influential musician in the last twenty years? You're like Kanye. Like Kanye, I th- I get that answer all the time, and that's my answer. And it's like he's so unafraid to kind of go to any genre he wants. Like when you think about his catalog, it's insane. Totally. And his feel for soul music is something I love so so much. And um, so like you can get our song with Christine there's a horn line in there and that like is kind of inspired by like Jay-Z's Rock Boys because there's like a very similar horn line that we're ripping off which I kind of might have produced but anyway that that era of like hip hop which totally. I think is really really exciting yeah, you know, it, it's funny, actually. I was thinking, I think it's your tune, Relentless, has, like, got a really cool groove. And I, mm. it, it kind of, like, immediately, like, made me think of, like, some of that cool early 2000s, like, kind of, like, flipped, like, New York, like, you know, hip-hop stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I actually, that one's interesting uh, because that's actually a sample. So my dad showed, my dad and I have, uh, like, uh, he, he's been the first person showing me lots of music ever since I was a kid. And he was like, you got to check out this artist. His name's Chico. I found him on like a, play- a South African playlist that I listen to when I'm on my bike. Check it out. And his, his, song, his song is called Sikulele Baby. And, it, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And we just sampled that song. And then we built it around it. That's amazing. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I got, you know, it had that that sort of like uh, sampled groove thing to it. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. I think you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. Fuck yeah. That's cool. So your dad's into music, obviously. Like, was he a big uh, influence for you early on, like to get into music or... Yeah, he he uh, he's from New York City originally and then went to university in Detroit. So he was in Detroit in like the late 60s. So there's a lot of great music there. Oh, and he yeah. wrote for like the underground newspaper and covered a lot of concerts. And then he came up to social work school up here in Toronto. But yeah, my earliest memories are like my dad showing me the Beatles. So like I only listened to the Beatles basically until I was like 12 years old. Like Beatles and Motown were like the music in my house. And I always think that's a, a good starting place for any songwriter. Oh my God. I mean, that, that, that right there is like the... That, that that's the songwriting basis for the last like 50 years so that's incredible what what's your musical journey like uh, did you start as a singer a guitarist a yeah a piano player or what 
Yeah, I mean, it took piano lessons badly growing up. I didn't get particularly far. But then in grade 11, I, I, I started to show interest in acoustic guitar. And I was like, oh, I could learn some Weezer songs. I could learn some Coldplay songs. I could learn some Beatles songs. And pretty quickly, I was like, I kind of want to write songs. So I kind of got the songwriting bug like immediately and, and performed. I also like Ben Folds 5. My dad oh, showed me yeah. Ben Folds 5. And I was like, oh, this is pretty good too. It kind of reminds me of the Beatles. So I picked up the guitar, started playing the piano a little bit more, and like was doing songs at, like the high school talent show. Uh, and I was also doing like parody versions of popular pop songs of the day on the school announcements. <laughs> to promote like the dance, so I'd be I'd do like a parody of like a Britney Spears song or something like that to promote something <laughs> that was going on. So I, I pretty quickly I was like, oh, this is kind of wicked, like just like the rush of performing. And our neighbors across the street, Alex and Eli, the, the brothers, Alex played guitar and Eli played the drums. So I could just walk across the street and play in their basement. And it's actually funny since lockdown because there's no shows. Alex and Eli are both at home. Back everyone's kind of like back in the neighborhood, and so. We've been jamming, so like, but <laughs> once a week we get together, and our and our old high school bassist Johnny, he he comes by, and we just do like Rolling Stone songs and the Cranberries. Amazing, <laughs> just like that. Yeah, so that's what I've been doing lately. Well, you know, actually, speaking of that, you doing parody songs. If you just grew your hair longer with the curly hair, you could be the the next Weird Al. I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! Yeah, it is humid out here today. I'm due for a haircut. I I, I feel like the the better version. Is, is something that's a little more glamorous than this. But right now, it's just kind of like, you know, this, these curls in the humidity, it's like not good. It's <laughs> not, not good. I haven't got hair going in a while. Oh, man. <laughs> I do not, like, I, I do not envy you that you live in the uh, the humid version of summer. Because, like, here in Los Angeles, it'll get cooking. And it's brutal when it gets cooking. But, it, like, it'll be 90 here and, like, 10% humidity, and it's fine. Or it's, you know, 90 Fahrenheit. Well, I don't know what that is in yeah, Celsius. Yeah, yeah, that? that would be like 34. 34, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, you've had like a really unique roster of tour mates, everyone from obviously Lights, Ex Ambassadors, Tokyo Police Club, but you also like did shows with like anti-flag and the libertines is that is that right i mean i read that <laughs> we 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 did we did some stuff with anti-flag i don't think we've ever done anything with libertines well though. wikipedia says right? it's true so it must is, be oh, interesting right. <laughs> did we do something maybe we did something with an offshoot of the libertines like years ago but it wouldn't have been a proper yeah that doesn't tour. make well anti-flag though did you do like a tour with them or something yeah it was interesting so basically there's a big kind of rock band from that are friends of ours from up here uh, called billy talent are you familiar with that name i'm not so Billy Talent would have been like a big deal for me in high school. And they're a big band in Canada and would probably do like Warp Tour in America. But in Germany, they are fucking gods. Like they are like, you know, like if you see a, a tour poster of like those big rock festivals in Germany, there's like Rammstein at the top yeah. and like right underneath it's Billy Talent. Oh my God. And so like... So there, so we opened for them in Germany, and Anti-Flag was on the bill. So it was like us, Anti-Flag, and Billy Talent, and and that was kind of a funny one because it's like, it was it was earlier in our career when we were a little bit more rock and roll. I don't know if it was like the most natural fit for us, but it was a really fun tour, and we got to play in like stadiums in Germany, which was which was awesome, and we got to know the Anti-Flag guys, and they're they're great dudes. Totally. Well, that's cool. I mean, it's funny because there is like a. There's something of a punk rock edge to your band, even though it's definitely more on the, I don't know, alternative pop. How would you describe your music? I mean, yeah, well, we're kind of a tweener band. It's right. a good point because it's like, it kind of, I always think that we can kind of do tour with anybody. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that. That's how it kind of, and then 
you know, we are still like a five piece rock and roll band. Like it is sort of a meat and potatoes, like, you know, two guitars, drums, bass, keys, like in a very traditional sense. But, you know, it's like, you know, we've, we've toured with lights. We've toured with X ambassadors. We've toured with K flay. We've toured with anti flag. So we can kind of bounce around depending on the moment. But I do think I, I wonder, it feels like music is like less stratified these days when it comes to like, you can kind of genre hop a little bit more. And I think young people are more open to a bill with variety or like, or musicians that sort of bounce around a little bit more. So I wonder if any of those things that might've felt a little awkward 10 years ago would feel like pretty good now. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, I, I think really it comes down to like, especially the younger generation, they don't have the reference point that we had. Like growing up, we had scenes. You know, there was the Toronto scene, mm-hmm. there's the Seattle scene, there's different types of bands in those scenes and whatever. Uh, now it's like they have Spotify playlists and it'll be like Trippy Red and then the Arkells. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's true. It's yeah. true. It's kind of awesome. I kind of love that. It's, it's kind of inspiring. What, what, what producers have you worked with? Like in terms of like that have been like, because I know you do so much of it on your own, but have, have you had any like studio experiences where you're like, oh, I learned a lot from so and so? Yeah, I mean, I, I've done a whole lot of collaborating, both on the production and, and songwriting side. You know, I've worked with a lot of, like, kind of, like, L.A. pop songwriters, everybody from, like, Evan Bogart to Ricky Reed and, and stuff like that. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Ricky, because Tom, who co-produced our our new record with Ryan Sprager, Tom Payton. Tom Payton works with Ricky. Oh, you worked, I didn't realize stuff. you worked with Tom, dude. I love Tom. Tom's great. Oh, Tom's the best. You know, actually, yeah. the the... On my on my new album that's coming out, the the title track, uh, Walk Like Me, we wrote together. So there you go. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, yeah. I love Tom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tom and Ryan, we learned so much from them. Oh, and yeah. their chemistry is awesome. Yeah, I recommend trying to get in the room with both of them because like, they're, they're just a great, great. Actually, like sometimes I, so I w- I'd go down there for a couple writing trips and like Tom's like, we have to actively disengage from trying to write a song right now. Because right. I'd be like, all right, let's go. Like, what are we doing? What are we doing? He's like, and he just wouldn't get to it. But then Ryan would be fucking around on the keyboard or playing something on the on the guitar, just as we're talking about, like the basketball game. Those two guys love basketball, so that was another reason why I liked. When I actually when I showed up the first time I met Tom and Ryan, they were talking about something that I had just read on the NBA Reddit forum. I was like, Are you talking about like this Reddit link? Like, because it's like, yeah. And I was like, Okay, we're gonna be friends. This is easy. Yeah, yeah. Fast um, friends, as they say. Yeah, yeah. That's fast friends. That's a production duo. And yeah, and and then so Ryan will be fucking around, and then Tom just will be like, Oh, what was that? Play that again. Oh, it's, it's interesting. And then he'll start humming something, and that's how like the beginning of a song might come. Uh, but sorry, I cut you off though. Okay, so Ricky Reed, Evan Bogart. I, do I know Evan? Yeah, I don't. I he's kind of more of like pop songwriting stuff, you know. And I kind of went through that that whole like ringer of like the label putting me in a lot of blind date writing sessions, which was like at the time some of it was very terrifying. But in the end, in retrospect, I learned so much from all that. You know, mm-hmm. I I think that I had a tendency to. I mean, like you leave me alone in a room and I'm going to write the same melody a hundred times. And then I'll like do every production trick I can in every song, you know? And so having, having outside perspective that are like, you know, people that can kind of take everything and tell you like how to make something that's more like pop minimalism out of it, I think was a really Mm. helpful tool for me. And just seeing other people's like songwriting techniques or arrangement techniques, you know, at this point, like I love producing my own shit just because it kind of feels like that's, genuinely what i am you know i feel like so much of you know what is robert long is the sound of my production or something like that yeah yeah yeah. um so yeah i think it's different for me in that sense 
But yeah. But you have that skill set too, which is like that's part of the thing that you can, you can offer. And also if you if you're creating the the bed tracks and then you're getting, you know, people to sing on it or or to sing with you on it, then then that's that's its own thing too and awesome. Totally. Yeah, so like when did you start singing? Were you singing in bands in uh, high school? Were you yeah. Yeah, so basically in high school is kind of when I started. Yeah, it, it was yeah, I kind of cringe though, look, looking back and listening to those <laughs> things. And I always say that it's being the lead singer has more to do with the enthusiasm to be the lead singer than actually necessarily having the best voice. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, 100%. I think if you're, I think it's like probably 95% of it. It's like Mike in our band, our guitarist, he's got a really nice voice. Like Tony, our piano player, like he's got a nice voice. It's like, do they want to be the lead singer? It's like, no, not at all. <laughs> no, you have to be, you have to be, you know, a character and a narcissist too. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. And here I am. <laughs> I will say, actually, it's cool. I like some of your more like yelling vocals, like knocking at the door has some of that. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I like that vibe when you're when you're out there and like there's something. Again, it's like. It's rock and roll. I wouldn't even say it's punk rock. Like, it, it feels almost like more connected with like, yeah, like more like 60s and 70s rock on some level or something like that. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, there's a soulful way to, to sing or just to scream, which right. I, I kind of like. You know, probably the, it's, so that band I mentioned, the Constantines that were on Sub Pop, their early records were like pretty punk and kind of throaty, screamy a little bit. But he sings a lot like the dude in The Replacements. Okay. And that guy is definitely inspired by some soul music. You know what I mean? Like, so there's that lineage of, like, horse singers that, like, can still really carry a melody. And so it's not just, like, shouty suburban punk. It's, like, more rooted in, like, growly, raspy R&B music. And I think that's what I'm trying to do. I think it's great. I I think you're pulling it off. But uh, (laughs) I will actually say... This is curious to me because we are the same age and most people my age that are in music, you know, in high school, there was a moment where you were probably into emo or screamo or like that whole thing. I get the sense that that might not have been the case with you. I'm curious. Was it or not? No, you're totally right. It's so funny. So I went to this, my high school was not like the traditional like suburban white American experience. I grew up not far from Chinatown and also Little Italy, Little Portugal in Toronto. So I'd say the majority of the kids in my school, it was probably like, I want to say 50, 60% like first generation Chinese kids. And then also sec, maybe 30% like second generation Portuguese and Italian kids whose parents would all be like construction workers or running a hair salon or something like that. So there wasn't that... So when it came to like the scene in my high school or like the hierarchy of like the jocks over there and the things like it just didn't exist because it's just like, I don't, like I, nobody cared really what the other people were doing. So I didn't really have that, like that thing that most of my friends would have been super into if they grew up like a little bit outside of Toronto, which I'm kind of happy about. No, that's great. I don't know. It, you're not mm-hmm. missing out on anything. But also that makes sense because you were in a more urban area. And I feel like a lot of that music is a kind of directly descendant of like uh, suburban sadness, right? I mean, it's like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like it wasn't really like that at our school. Yeah, well, that's cool. Obviously, a lot of your music has political undertones. And I imagine that's a bit from your poli-sci background. I mean, I imagine you also pursued a degree in poli-sci because of your interest in politics. Yeah, I mean, I, I, can you speak to that a little bit? Can you just talk about that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. My mom is a high school teacher, and she she taught like twenty years uh, in special ed classes. And my dad's a social worker by trade, and I think a lot of the people, like a lot of their friends, were sort of like kind of like thoughtful, you know, professionals that like were involved in some kind of community causes in a grassroots kind of way. So it, they didn't really push the agenda, my parents at all, to be like, you need to, like, like it wasn't like a communist household by any stretch, but it was a very kind of ethnically diverse neighborhood. Their friends were sort of always like involved in the community in one form or another. So I think that's always been on my mind. It's like, how, how can we like kind of like live together and how do we celebrate the people that actually have really hard jobs? So that's, so I think when it comes to like any sort of like social awareness that the band has or that I write about, it just comes from being like, oh, my job is a joke. Like my job is like such a blessing and comparatively speaking, so easy compared to like the nurses or the, you know, or the, or the teachers or, or, or anybody who's in the helping profession. So I think that's where I, where, where that sort of instinct comes from. It's just my, my folks and their, and their friends. Right. Well, I mean, uh, speaking to that, I mean, we're, you know, uh, things are crazy and not that Canada is perfect by any means. And there's a lot of things going on, you know, with with, I guess, reconciling the the mistreatment of indigenous populations and, mm-hmm. and whatnot in Canada. Uh, but you've obviously seen like there's also been a great shit storm in America for the last, well, I mean, for, for the whole time, but certainly in the last six <laughs> years. Yeah, I, I'm curious, like what your perspective as a Canadian uh, who is interested in, in, in the, the goings on in politics, what is your perspective on how this is all shaking down? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I, I should preface everything by saying that like, yeah, as you is by no means perfect. And there are many dark corners in Canada's history when it comes to the mistreatment of indigenous people and other minorities and gay people. It's like, it's not all sunny for sure. I'd say compared to the States, and it's an easy comparison because we're neighbors, there's a higher level of social trust. Um, and so in Canada, it's like the, the vac- if, if we're talking about like the vaccine rates here, it's like they're pretty good and they're going in the right direction. The amount of people that are like vaccine hesitant is smaller than in America because I just think it's like the institutions overall, overall have served the communities better than in places where you see higher levels of like social mistrust. So it's like, how do you, how do you continue to encourage that is, is a good question. But I, but I think that it's just like, because healthcare is is not private it's like a it's a public right because the school system is is generally pretty good there's a, a smaller percentage of like of wealthy people here would send their kids to private school there's definitely lots of private schools in toronto but like there's a lot of really good public high schools and i just think like the more of those social services that are available the more like belief you have in the place and and when and you're not kind of distrustful when when somebody in power tells you what to do cuz you know i think that's a, that's a problem in other places and not as bad of a problem in canada i'm curious when you come down to the uh, when you come down to the states and play shows like i mean not that canada is a monolith by any means but 
I can imagine that you have very different experiences when you come down to the States and play like in the South than, than you might uh, somewhere else in Canada. Yeah, how is that? How, what does that feel like? Is that a, I don't know, is that the sort of a strange like paradigm shift for you? Yeah, it's, it's different. And I mean, there's, there's so many amazing things about America too, right? Like we, like there's so many, there's so much like vibrant, there's different types of community that you don't have up here in Canada, which I always find to be like interesting. I love being around it. Like, you know, there's nothing like New Orleans, you know, in Canada. Or if you, if well, you go to Well, there's nothing like Miami, New Orleans anywhere else in America. To be anywhere fair. else. Yeah. That, that's true, too. But, like, you know, like, they don't have the Hispanic population in Canada sure. that, that you'd see in, you know, Southern California or, like, the Cuban population. Like, so I always find that to be really interesting and really fun to be around and, and you learn a lot from. But, and, and I think it's, like, the ceiling of America is higher than anything, right? That's what makes America, like, such a tantalizing place because just, like, at its... At its best, you can like the highest highs can be reached, right? But then also you go, oh god, like how do you walk three blocks away in the other direction, and you're kind of in a really like destitute, worn out place, and and then you like and then you just see how like unjust that is. So yeah, I'd say like yeah, the highest highs can be reached in America, but also you feel like okay, but if you fuck up, like you could be in real trouble. That's true. Yeah, I. You know, this is a question I always ask Canadian artists is there seems to be like sort of a unpretentiousness about Canadian artists and maybe like the mm. what the word is, is or like what it is, is like there's some sort of like I just see with a lot of American artists, it's like this like extreme competitiveness or something like that. And, and you know, I've, I've talked to like Ali X about this and I've talked to Lights about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I don't know. What do you see is like the difference between some of like, I guess, Canadian artists and, and maybe American artists that you've interacted with? Because I, I, I personally, you know, I'm not a I'm not like a, a social climber type necessarily. I'm not like super like, I don't know. I, I like music because I like music and I love performing it in front of people because, uh, you know, like every artist, uh, I have a, a vast gap of, of, of sadness that needs to be filled by uh, other people <laughs> telling me I'm great. But uh, but no, I mean, it, it, in reality, like, I, I think there is some sort of stark difference between, I think, the way a lot of Canadian artists treat the, the whole, like, fame and kind of, you know, success in music thing. And I, I just wonder where you think that comes from or, or what, yeah, I mean... Yeah, what do you think about that? No, it's a good question. I mean, I think there... It's Well, first of all, it's it's kind of a small community, too. So you kind of know everybody. Sure. Like all our artists you just mentioned, like I've seen... I've known Ali for a long time. I was, you know, Lights Forever. And I think... So one, you kind of know each other, number one. Number two, the the music grant system up here is, is pretty good. And so, like, you're like, listen, I know. Like, you just... I know you got a $5,000 music video grant like i know you just got, he's like especially when you're all coming up together right so it's just like you know where some of like the funding comes from and i think it feels like there is a like if if you if you like have a hit in america like and and you're like number one on the pop billboard chart or something it's like that can that that's a very high ceiling you're right because it's a big place there's you know 330 million people if you have like a hit in canada it's 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 still very very exciting but the ceiling is slower naturally because it's just like a smaller place right there's 36 million people here so i think every canadian artist has that sort of sense of like modesty where it's like no it's like you know you, you you're grateful for what you can get and what you can accomplish but you don't see too many people that are 
that are like living large or think they're like a really, really big deal because they, they have some sort of sense of, of like self-awareness because we all kind of come from the same place. That said, I will say, this is kind of funny. Michael Buble started commenting on Arkell's Instagram recently. And, <laughs> Amazing. And we've, <laughs> and we've become kind of text friends and he could not be nicer. And that guy is like an international, like arena selling. Oh, act, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and he he could not be a nicer dude. So even though he has achieved like worldwide fame, he still has that sort of nice Canadian thing to him. Totally. Well, on that note, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go here in a couple of minutes. But I I do want to know. Yeah, you got this record finished. Uh, I know it's coming out quite soon, actually. When, yeah, when's the album coming out? Yeah, so it comes out uh, September twenty second. Shit, I should we just moved up the date. I shouldn't know this. Ash, our manager's probably listening to this upstairs. She's and she'll probably correct me. But yeah, we it's kind of interesting. We started the record back like September 2019 and kind of mostly finished it in February 2020. And we were going to start rolling out the record that year in 2020. And then of course the pandemic starts a a month later. So we put it aside. We're like, it doesn't make sense to put out this like high energy music when we can't go tour it. So we made an acoustic record uh, last summer, which was felt like a really good use of our time. It was like a lot of acoustic songs from our catalog. And now as the world is opening back up again, we're starting to roll out the music from those LA sessions. And uh, yeah, so it's exciting. And we'll have touring dates announcing soon in Canada and then the rest of the world in in the new year. So yeah, that's what we're doing. We're happy about it. Oh, fuck yeah. Well, I'm excited to see you in the flesh and uh, watch one of your shows soon and listen to the record. And uh, yeah, I mean, thanks for uh, joining me on the pod. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. I don't know who's going to listen to this. It might be just my mom. But uh, if it's just my mom, she's going to love this conversation. So she loves Canadians. (laughs) (laughs) Wicked. Amazing. Well, uh, yeah, thanks again. And uh, yeah. I'll let you know next time I'm in LA. Please do. All right. Wicked. Keep it real, Max. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to DeLong Robcast. DeLong Robcast is produced, recorded, and edited by me, your good friend, Robert DeLong, in association with Harden Burke Entertainment and distributed by Glass Note Records via Anchor. If you like listening to this pod, make sure to tell your friends, enemies, dogs, and household appliances, and don't forget to like DeLong Robcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever it is you get to hear my beautiful, soothing voice in all its glorious extemporaneity. Also, if you want to see some video footage of this convo, check out Robert DeLong on YouTube or Instagram. Be safe, be well, be fun. I'm Robert DeLong, and I will see slash talk to you again in the future.